Hello friends, welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. Uh, today I have a very special guest joining me for a cup of coffee and a casual conversation. That is a tongue twister. It is a tongue twister, uh, Dr. yeah. Dr. Brianna Lutz. Lutz, sorry. Lutz, I yeah. got it wrong and yeah. I've been like <laughs> telling myself all morning, like, don't get that wrong. Yeah, yeah. But L-U-T-Z. Yep. And you probably get that all the time. I, I get it all the time. And even, yeah. even receptionists at the clinic, like one really? still calls me Lutz and yeah, yeah. Or, or like, still calls Lutz. me Lutz, yeah. Or like... And, 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 but it is Lutz. It is Lutz, Okay, so yeah. Dr. Lutz is yeah. joining me this morning, or this afternoon. For a cup of coffee and uh, Dr. Lutz is a naturopathic doctor based out of Edmonton mm-hmm. and the reason that she's here today is that uh, well a we met her through my wife Kelly is a, a patient mm-hmm. of, of yours mm-hmm. and just getting to know you a little bit through your social media presence which is so cool that you have that um, and it's an awesome way for you to connect with uh, potential patients and your mm-hmm. uh, community of patients, obviously. Yeah. Um, but getting to know like kind of what you're about there. And then I came to Kelly's first appointment with her to see you and thought, mm-hmm. wow, this is, this is a really unique approach to wellness and to, um, to medicine. Mm-hmm. And uh, then Kelly and I have been talking about um, her experience of seeing you mm-hmm. and all the help that you've given her. And she actually made the suggestion, you should have Dr. Lutz on the podcast. <laughs> so... Um, the reason I think it's such a great fit for you to be here and have a conversation with me for this audience to listen to is that, um, as I was mentioning before we hit record here, uh, the Six Ways from Sunday online community of faith is really, it's really not about religion or about um, any specific uh, set of beliefs or faith. It's about the fact that all of us have big questions. All of us mm-hmm. struggle with uh, things through life. We have relationship challenges. We have health, uh, challenges with our health. We have challenges just figuring out answers to the big questions like why we're here in the first place and mm-hmm. what we want to do with this really short amount of time that we have on the planet. Mm-hmm. And someone like yourself who's helping people just feel well and to live a healthy life is so ties into that, I think. So, um, that's a, kind of a long preamble into introducing you, but why don't you give us a little bit of a sense of, of your story and, and um, kind of what brought you into the work that you're, you're doing? And just to give people a mm-hmm. sense of who you are. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So my story goes back to, honestly, childhood. Um, I knew from a really, really young age that I wanted to be a doctor. I think people are born with this innate need to help people. And you mentioned your dad, like going into like a healthcare profession, you, there's just that type of person where we want to help people. Mm -hmm. I was also really, really fascinated with physiology and the human body and it just aligned so well. So from, like I said, a really young age, I knew I wanted to be a doctor. So I basically primed my life to do that. So in, in high school, I took all of the science courses I needed to, um, applied to University of Alberta, did all of my science courses, did a Bachelor of Science, basically grooming myself to apply to medical school. And <laughs> through that process, so I did go to the U of A um, with a Bachelor of Science, mm-hmm. and I, most people don't know this about me, but I minored in fine arts. So I painted um, as, as just kind of my minor. Yeah. Um, and then, yep, like I said, did all my science courses to apply for medical school. So all the biologies, the chemistries, physiology, anatomy, 
And going through the process of applying to med school, I met up with a friend of mine for coffee who was going through the same process and he was a year ahead of me. So we started chatting about, okay, well, how many A's do you have? How many A pluses do you have? Have you, tell me about your volunteer experience. And it was just boom, 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 boom. And then the conversation went about my art courses and he's like, well, are you getting 4.0? Are you getting like the A's that you need to, to apply to medical school? I'm like, well, well, no, like those go to like the BFA students, like the bachelor of fine arts, the BA students. Like for me, it's to grow that creativity and to, to learn something in university, but I'm not taking those courses to get to boost boost my GPA. Exactly. So we, the more we chatted about it, he was like, you know, if you wanted to get into med school, you need to drop all your art courses. You need to take easy courses, go to econ 101, mm. get stuff to pad your GPA. Cause if, if that's what you want to do, these are the sacrifices you need to make. Wow. And yeah. So in that moment, and I, it's funny cause I tell this story all the time and this person probably doesn't <laughs> even know like <laughs> that he had that impact on the trajectory of my life, but it yeah. was a really aha moment where I'm like, if med school doesn't want me for me, then, you know, I don't really want to go to med school. So from there, I had what I call my quarter life crisis. <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And that's a really challenging spot to be in, you know, mm. like when you've been a person who knows where you're going and knows your why and knows what you want to do with your life. Had it all mapped out. Had it all mapped out. And to come to that point of, I don't know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I don't know why I'm here. Like, what's the point of being in university anymore? So that was a really, really tough spot to be yeah. in. So yeah. were you at all tempted to follow that advice and just bump the GPA up? And because it, is it just super competitive to get in? It's really competitive to get into medical school. Yeah. yeah. And so, and it's not even just about your grades anymore. It's about like how many volunteer hours you have oh, wow. and like very specific criteria. And it was, it was creating uh, like, a, I don't want to say a cookie cutty per- cooker cut cookie cutter person but it was they had this vision of the perfect applicant and if you didn't really fit into that mold you might not get in and so wow. yeah so is is really competitive um really cutthroat and even in some of my science courses where it was everybody competing to get into med school it was cutthroat you'd have students tell other students the wrong days for exams and i'm like what oh is this oh my goodness it was crazy so uh, that that really spoke to me. I'm like, this isn't this isn't who I am. This like I'm in the business of helping people, and I don't want to conform to this idea. So from there, like I said, quarter life crisis. Uh, but my parents were so so supportive. Like my my mom she knew that that was something that I wanted to do. She's like, well, Brianna, it doesn't have to be doesn't have to be a doctor like what about physiotherapy which if people know and they're probably laughing because it's actually more competitive to get into physiotherapy really? than, than yeah uh, she's like but what about like occupational therapy or um, maybe being a nurse practitioner so she was really trying to get me to think outside of that and so we actually went to a health sciences career fair it was really, really good idea for mom. She's like, okay, let's just explore, see what other things you want to do in healthcare. If that's what, cause mm-hmm. she knew that was something that I was interested in. So we went to this health science career fair and it, it, it was actually a hiring fair and we didn't know that. So I'm in my second year <laughs> university and they're like, when do you graduate? Like, here's an application. <laughs> um, and so we, we walked around and you're kind of in that, 
like vendor space of take a pen if you have one kind of attitude where you just get kind of the goodies from each booth. (laughs) And I walked by this booth for CCNM. So CCNM is the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. Okay. And I saw this booth and I was super skeptical. I was like, that's hippie medicine. Uh, like, <laughs> I, like, I didn't know what it was. I was really, really skeptical. But well, And you were on track to become like a family doctor, yeah, right? Yeah, like, conventional yeah, GP. Medicine, yeah, 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 conventional medicine. And so I was pretty skeptical of this. But then I was like, hey, whatever. I took an informational CD, took it home, didn't really think much of it. And then that night I was, you know, sitting in my bedroom going through kind of all the swag from from the, the trade show and popped the CD in my computer and I just bawled. Really? Absolutely bawled. I was watching this informational CD. It was the faculty, it was students talking about the profession and I had this aha moment. I'm like, this is exactly how I wanted to practice as a doctor. It's educating your patients, it's lifestyle medicine, it's... Um, building relationships and I was just bawling I like I had no idea it existed wow so I'm like that was always the doctor I wanted to be I just didn't know that that was a thing wow yeah and so. you never would have it's so funny how life works and um well like Steve Jobs famously said you can only connect the dots when you're looking back through your past and mm-hmm. all the twists and turns that life has taken you in that I mean, you never would have even found out about that potentially had you yeah. not gone to this job fair. And yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. So for people who either don't understand what naturopathic medicine mm-hmm. is or think they know and probably mm-hmm. have it wrong yeah. because the, I like, well, Kelly and I were just speaking with, yeah. with, uh, with you earlier today. Um, there are a lot of misconceptions or like hangups around it. So mm-hmm. how would you describe that and to kind of set the record straight or mm-hmm. take away any myths? I think the biggest misconception and part of it is terminology. Okay. So uh, naturopathic doctor is a, like a regulated title. Um, and in order to have that, you need to have gone to a school that is for naturopathic medicine. So for that criteria alone, you need an undergraduate degree. So I did a Bachelor of Science from U of A. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of my science courses that, so a lot of the same courses that you need to apply to conventional medical school, you need for, um, naturopathic medical school as Got well. It. The biology's chemistry is all that. Yeah. And then in addition to that, a four year naturopathic medical degree. Wow. So that, so that alone I think is pretty enlightening for people because a naturopathic doctor is eight years of education. Um, there are some unregulated titles where like quote naturopath or, um, natural therapist, holistic practitioner, where it could be a two year degree from Grant McEwen, or it could be an online course (laughs) for two months. Oh my goodness. And and people call themselves naturopaths and it's all lumped together. And even like homeopath, like I get that a lot too, where, um, people are patients of mine and they're talking to their psychiatrist and like, Oh, my homeopath said this. And I'm like, Wait, wait, wait a minute. So I think that is the biggest thing is a lot of it's a terminology yes. thing. So a, nat- a naturopathic doctor. And basically what I do, uh, I practice as a primary care provider, like like a GP or like a medical doctor. 
the obvious difference is they focus on using natural therapies as opposed to drugs. Right. But kind of the core fundamental difference is I'm getting to the root cause of what's going on rather than just chasing around symptoms. So my initial intake is at least an hour. So, and I, and I tell people, I'm like, it's going to be lots of questions, lots of Mm -hmm. getting to know you today. And then in addition to that, I might be doing physical exams. So we're trained how to do physical exams. Like I, um, do, can do pelvic exams or pap exams. Um, and we were trained to do that from like the women's hospital in Vancouver. Um, and we do like venipuncture, like blood draws. And then, so in addition to that eight years, a lot of naturopathic doctors do additional training. So I have IV therapy, um, yeah, so intravenous nutrients and chelation, ozone. Yeah, wow. so it's, it's a lot. And I think people don't know the options that are out there. Right. For themselves. So you're yeah. early in your career in this. Mm-hmm. And there's probably many different um, directions that you could head in the future. Mm-hmm. I'm really curious, though, why. So obviously, you like you, uh, you kind of outlined some big aha moments that led mm-hmm. you to where you are. Yeah. Why do you feel so passionate about the work that you're doing? Mm-hmm. And who is it that you're trying to make a difference for? Like mm-hmm. you, you went into this because you wanted to help people, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about that passion. Yeah. In definitely in naturopathic school, I started gravitating more towards women's health and hormones. Uh, part of that is because I am, I'm a, I'm a big nerd. <laughs> And I love complexity. I love puzzles. So hormones, mm. hormones really made a lot of sense to me of, of, of wanting to go down that rabbit hole of learning about how everything is connected, all of the different hormonal systems. Um, and that was just a natural fit or a natural draw. I think too, when you've had your own health stuff and like, and, and for me that I felt like my own health struggles or my own things that have been happening personally, conventional medicine didn't do very well Hmm. or they only had limited solutions. So for me, I'm like, what would I would have, who is the doctor I would want to see? And so Mm. I think the women's health and and treating hormones was a big part of that. So that was through school. I definitely gravitated more towards women's health. But there's also just a huge void there right like there's Mm -hmm. there's a lot of need absolutely yeah and I think that became blatantly obvious when I started practicing yeah and partially because of uh, knowing what the conventional medical system can do and also just hearing women's stories Mm. like you you would not believe the things I hear in my office like things that women have been told that are blatantly untrue or limited options or, or things like that that have just been let down by the system kind yeah of thing. yeah and and I think ever since starting practice that is something that's been growing into in my why is some advocacy pieces mm. and how do we change the the dialogue and the conversation about women's health and providing mm-hmm. different options um there's this really amazing book um, by Abby Norman. It's called Ask Me About My Uterus. And so she is someone who initially diagnosed or struggled with endometriosis. uh, And then her health has has evolved and she's dealing with other things. But she goes into some of like the medical anthropology of of women's health. And, And currently it seems like there's kind of four options for women. Number one, you you go on oral contraceptives or you go on the birth control pill. 
Uh, number two, um, just get pregnant because it will fix it. So they call it like working woman syndrome. So if you just get pregnant, we can kind of reset your hormones, which isn't an, an option <laughs> for everybody. Um, or another option would be like dealing with the side effects. So, okay, you have PMS, here's an antidepressant. Oh, you right. have painful periods, here's a painkiller. Uh, and kind of the fourth option is let's just cut it out. Like let you're bleeding wow. too heavy, let's cut out your uterus. Or uh, you're struggling with this hormonal thing, like let's take out your ovaries. So I deal with that conversation a lot in yeah. my practice that let's try these things first. Yeah. Um, let's see if this makes a difference. Let's do some testing. Let's figure out what's going on. Um, and then I can present some different options right. to you and you can decide from there. Yeah. So, and this is, I think you're kind of touching on, um, the system is, is broken in the sense that this is not just about women's health or reproductive health. There is an overarching kind of let's, uh, address, you know, let's, let's slap a bandaid on it. Let's take mm -hmm. away the symptoms. Let's prescribe, prescribe, prescribe mm -hmm. to erase what, what is hurting, yeah. but not take the time to, I mean, you go into a walk-in clinic and you have six minutes with mm -hmm. a GP. Yeah. There's no way that they're going to, and it's probably a GP that you've never seen before because mm -hmm. a lot of people can't, like we don't even have a family doctor right now mm -hmm. because we live in a community where it's hard to get into the one doctor who is here, mm -hmm. uh, limited clinic hours, you know, it's, yeah. so there's, there's not enough doctors yeah. in our country. Mm -hmm. um, so people are, um, just going to whoever they go to an emergency room or going to a walk-in clinic, mm -hmm. you get a quick five minute consult and you know, what's hurting, here's your pill, mm -hmm. send you on your way. Yeah. So it sounds like you, you're very passionate about taking a different approach to that mm -hmm. and especially to women. Yeah. And I think it's so, um, so amazing and so admirable that you're doing that work. And it's so important that you're doing that work because women have been like, I just look at, the experience that uh, Kelly, my wife, has had through our three children coming into this mm -hmm. world, the three really challenging pregnancies, issues with her pelvis and pain, and she mm -hmm. had uh, a condition that we'd never heard of called mm -hmm. SPD, yeah. symphysis pelvis Pelvic dysfunction function. or something yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. And so she was like using a walker by the time yeah. Grayson was mm -hmm. in the womb. And she went to several different doctors and they were just like, yeah, we don't, we, I mean, here's some Tylenol with codeine, you know, mm -hmm. like no real effort to really truly understand what was going on for her. Then the follow-up care after pregnancies and uh, experiencing PPD and emotional and, and hormonal um, challenges that mm -hmm. were never really, other than, you know, the offer of like, well, you can, there's pills for that too. Yeah. Like, oh, great, another pill. And so when Kelly discovered you and she found you through your Instagram <laughs> channel, um, doing her own research, yeah, she's, yeah. she's a researcher. Um, <laughs> Which I love. I love when people come to me with research. Where they've already yeah, done yeah. some learning. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's great because then you can actually build their understanding for where sure. you're not starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. So it was game changing mm -hmm. for her when she found you and has had um, massive improvement in so many different things mm -hmm. just from the, uh, the things that you've been helping her with. So, so how do you help someone who comes in and says they're whether, regardless of whether they're pre, you know, haven't had kids yet, or they're maybe pregnant and needing mm -hmm. support through their pregnancies it sounds like that's kind of a, an area where you focus on is, um, I think you, you said something on your Instagram about, um, all 
10 months of the pregnancy, like the after as well? Or how did you put that? Maybe I'm, I'm pointing to a, a post that you're not remembering. <laughs> Maybe not. Yeah, yeah. But it's um, the it's it's the pre like pre like pre during... preconception or like that time period or and or the true... fo- the fourth trimester. That's the one. I'm the fourth of. trimester. Yeah, the fourth trimester. Yeah. So I think that's a really um, under addressed crucial part of a woman's transition Mm -hmm. so um if if you don't know so like during the pregnancy there's three trimesters and what we call the fourth trimester is basically that that time postpartum so um generally we say like the six weeks after delivery and that's a really crucial time period for women to um rebuild themselves you know, mm-hmm. and and especially when you look at it from Chinese medicine or different cultures where women are really um, respected and women are really supported through that transition. And, and kind of like that whole it takes a village mentality. Right. So the mom, all she needs to do is stay at home, um, bond with baby, nurse, nurse yeah. sleep, eat. Right. Wow. And so that we as a Western culture are like, oh, you get your like you have your baby and then you need to be going back to work. Well, in I, this in the United States, it's even worse than Canada, like mm-hmm. two, three weeks and lots of moms are back at work and either pumping or doing formula. Yeah. 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 So I can't it, imagine. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely um, fourth trimester is something that I talk about a lot and even conventional medical systems like they might do like the six week checkup with Mm -hmm. with mom and baby um but even some moms are just so tired at that point where it's hard to get in for that appointment so it just gets pushed later and pushed later because they're like what what's going to be the solution or what benefit can they offer me if it's just going to be you know um an antidepressant or or something like that yeah yeah well i mean in like when we were being born mm-hmm. our parents if they were having struggles with postpartum uh they would call it the baby blues you know mm-hmm. if it was what we would now call postpartum depression they would maybe just call oh you got a case yeah. of the baby blues yeah and there was some stigma around as there mm-hmm. still is stigma around mental health anxiety depression mm-hmm. um but when you look at what it takes to create a human being inside a woman's body and their brain is just being sucked mm-hmm of all of its, you know, micronutrients and, and -hmm. minerals and all of those essential building blocks to Mm -hmm. create this little baby brain and heart and lungs and everything. Of course that woman is going to be depleted and you're all of a sudden not sleeping. So you're physically exhausted. So all these layers stack on top of each other Mm -hmm. and traditional medicine just says, well, you're not bleeding. Um, we don't have to stitch you up. You're, you're, you're Mm -hmm. breathing fine. Like Mm -hmm. your vitals look fine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and yeah. you just don't get that, that extra care that you need. Yeah. Or, so yeah. if you, if you yeah. don't have a really amazing support network, and even yeah. if you do, if your support network is your husband or, mm-hmm. or uh, siblings or parents and they're wanting to support you but don't understand that mm-hmm. you are having those, those struggles, yeah. um, it can be really challenging. So yeah. what is your approach then to someone who is coming in and saying, you know, I'm in that fourth trimester, mm-hmm. um, I'm having this list of of Mm -hmm. challenges whether it's physical emotional psychological yeah 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 one of one of the biggest things that like for me would be the investigation right so um a lot of times in in either women's health or even just conventional medicine is that um you fit a clinical picture like you're you okay you're a mom so you're you're going to be tired 
right? So they say, okay, that's the reason you're tired. You have an infant, you're not sleeping. That's it, right? Yeah. Or you have baby blues and, and that's it. Here's an antidepressant. For me, it's the investigation of, okay, this is what's happening physiologically. What can we look into? What is, is there something else going on? Right. And oftentimes postpartum depression or baby blues could be a simple iron deficiency. We test iron, really? we test iron and like, obviously, okay, your iron is low. We treat the low iron and then women kind of bounce, bounce back in terms of, okay, maybe they get a bit of an energy boost or they're able to think more clearly or that when they're like low, low mood, that the iron makes a big difference. Another big one that we look at is low thyroid. And so like, those are two, two easy checks to make a simple blood test we check for iron we check your thyroid and that could treating those things alone could improve mood significantly or could increase mood significantly that that person might not need an antidepressant i'm not saying that that isn't a useful tool but for me i'm always saying well where's where's the why like Mm -hmm. what is going on and is and if it's um mood support and that type of thing we can we can treat it in a different way yeah. too yeah obviously antidepressants and other psychotropic drugs have their place and there mm-hmm. are disorders and and um conditions that that is super appropriate mm-hmm. to to use as a tool yeah. but if you're if you're pulling out that hammer really quickly without taking an in-depth look at what's going on in this person's life like mm-hmm. i've listened to several podcasts lately that talk about um, anxiety and depression and how they relate to things like, um, how physically active are you? Mm -hmm. How much of a sense of purpose do you have in your life? And all these other factors that can, can be like, well, if you looked at this person's life Mm -hmm. and they, you should be depressed, like look at all the things going on in your life or someone who has experienced a significant, uh, loss in their life, whether it's a loss of a job or loss of a loved one, like, you're mm-hmm. depressed or you're having some anxiety. Good. You should be mm-hmm. <laughs> feeling those things, Yeah. but it might not be permanent. Like, yeah. you know, you need healing and you need mm-hmm. support and you need good nutrition. You need mm-hmm. good sleep. Um, yeah. you need a sense of purpose, all the things that we all need for sure to feel good. Yep. Um, not just let's give you a, a prescription for a pill that mm-hmm. you should just take indefinitely. Yeah. And, and too, when I talk about that in my practice in terms of stress or, or any of those kinds of things, I tell people like, you know what? Life happens. You know what? Mm-hmm. You're human. And for me, I can't as a physician take those things away. I can't prevent, you know, your parents from dying or I can't um, make it so your relationship isn't going to end. What I can do is create more resilience in you. And so when you are met with those life struggles, those stresses that you're able to deal with it mm-hmm. or your body is able to bounce back more effectively so creating a sense of resilience a strength in a person's system that 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 they can meet those stressors head on that's such a good approach yeah, yeah. so so you have this focus on women's health mm-hmm. partly because you're a woman and <laughs> partly because there is a huge need for that yeah um so I, I had a request for a question to ask you from my friend, <laughs> Melissa, who's yeah. a patient of yours. Yeah, yeah. Hi, Melissa. Yeah. Um, to ask you, how do you, with that focus, how mm-hmm. do you then uh, support the entire family unit mm-hmm. and, and the health of the 
spouse and children, if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Like, well, do you see a lot of children in your practice? I and, do. And men? I do. Yeah. Generally, and and it's funny because talking about it from like a marketing perspective or that type of thing, like women are the gatekeepers of health. That is that is the terminology <laughs> so we use for that because it's generally um, the woman who's caring for like the health of her whole family, mm-hmm. right? And often at the expense of herself. I see that mm. a lot in my practice, like mom guilt or women putting everybody else as, uh, yeah tearing them as being more important and then whatever's left is what they get yeah um so in terms of like people coming into my practice generally it's it's the mom or, or the woman first and 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 i think that in terms of the health of the family is is really important and getting those women okay you need to put on your own oxygen mask first before you put your kid like the plane is going down you got to put on your own <laughs> oxygen mask first yeah and then you can put it on your kids because if you have nothing left, how how can you give that to your family, right? So taking yeah. care of themselves first. I think from a, a family perspective, a lot of it is, is kind of foundational health things. And I talk a lot about nutrition in my practice mm. and um, balanced meals and, and things like that. So getting the family involved. And I mm-hmm. feel like when I start, like the mom starts to bring their kids in or they bring their husbands or, you know, the, the uncle or their parents, that it's food is a big part of that. So teaching your children from a young age how to make those healthier choices and get them involved and excited about it. I'm like, you know what, this week I want you to take your kids grocery shopping with you and let them pick the vegetable. Like hmm. let them, and I know another Another couple who's really good with their kids, they say, okay, you need three colors on the plate. That's I don't a, care what color. Yeah. They're like, I don't care what color it is, but we need three different colors on the plate. You pick which colors we bring in. So then it, it involves some creativity with meal planning and things like that. Yeah. But if the kid is like, okay, like I'm going to pick a green pepper. And then, so the parents like, okay, what am I going to do with the green pepper? Maybe it's some stuffed peppers or it's tossing it into a stir fry. But the kid is like, okay, I saw that on the shelf mm-hmm. and they're making the connection okay now this is a meal so they're not being removed from that process Got it. and so instilling like those kind of healthy habits with them yeah. too yeah. so i think i love including our yeah. kids in, in, the, <laughs> yeah. in the kitchen yeah even if it's just something as simple as you know our kids aren't quite at the stage that you can hand them a really sharp knife or yeah, anything yeah, yet yeah. they're four six and eight yeah. but they love sitting at the island and when i'm chopping vegetables they know don't reach onto the cutting board when yeah. dad's cutting and then I'll push it to the side or push it off the cutting board and then they get to just, mm-hmm. even just picking it up and putting it into the bowl mm-hmm. or something, they they feel included in the process and connected yeah. to the food and connected to the the recipe, mm-hmm. uh, if you will, and yeah. the process of creating that meal. And then mm-hmm. I find that they're more likely to, to eat it mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and to just under have that understanding of the importance of yeah. of uh, of food and eating well. So, so diet is, and nutrition is obviously a huge part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, another thing that I know is important to you from um, what I've seen of your, your social media and from Mm -hmm. Kelly seeing you is, um, I want to talk for a second about the microbiome. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And I know you, you'll be willing to to jump on that train. So what is your, your core message that you want people to understand about like a few years ago, I wouldn't have even even known what a microbiome was. It's mm-hmm. kind of, and it is starting to gain some um, some popular uh, recognition, and you're seeing it in mm-hmm. in all over the place now. But yeah. 
And, and with things like, you know, kombucha and fermented foods, fermented drinks, they're starting to become more popular in grocery stores too. Mm -hmm. But what is the connection to, um, to, to hormone health mm -hmm. and to overall wellness yeah. from, from your perspective and your knowledge? Yeah, it's connected to everything is, is, <laughs> is the short answer. Um, and, and for those who don't know what the microbiome is, so it's basically um, the, the community of bacteria that live within our guts. And it's not just bacteria, like there are different types of microbes like yeast and things like that, which if, if it becomes rampant can cause different digestive issues and stuff like that. But um, so the microbiome does a lot of things for our health. Um, number one, it helps with digestion. So a lot of food, like in terms of the large intestine, breaking down certain types of foods, it makes certain nutrients for us as well. Like vitamin K is made from, from our gut microbiome, which wow. is, which is really cool. That's why babies get a vitamin K shot when they're oh. born, because they don't have that microbiome yet to support the production of right. vitamin K. Well, learn something new, hey? Yeah, I did not know that. <laughs> um, and then... They also create our um, like our, our brain chemicals or neurotransmitters. So ninety percent of our serotonin, our feel good hormone, is made in our gut. So what, really, yes, yes. So and in terms of serotonin, that's what most antidepressants work on is is serotonin. So yeah. serotonin reuptake inhibitor, selective serotonin reuptake inhi inhibitor, an SSRI, um, that is a type of um, antidepressant. So. When we have an imbalanced gut, we're not making that nice, happy, healthy serotonin. And then not only does that affect our mood, but it affects other physiological functions in our body sure. as well. Um, in terms of hormonal health, and, and definitely when I'm treating hormones, a lot of the times I'm going to start with digestion and start with gut health. Uh, so... In, <laughs> I love this term. So it's called the astrobolome, which sounds more like a deli meat than it does something medically. Uh, yeah, what but, is it? So the astrobolome is part of our microbiome that is in charge of making our hormones or metabolizing hormones. So when the body tries to get rid of hormone byproducts, if we're not digesting properly or we're not having like a proper bowel movement, those hormones are actually going to be retaken up into the body and, and be used. And oftentimes it's uh, not so beneficial forms of estrogen that we're reabsorbing and reusing. So yeah mm -hmm. wow yeah so it really is it's connected to everything from yeah mental health physical your yeah. entire physiology mm -hmm. our immune system yeah it controls um different ph's within the body too so how acidic or alkaline it is so yeah. in terms of acne or skin health like the skin has a certain ph your microbiome is is part of that or even like from from a women's health perspective uh vaginal ph so if women are more prone to uh yeast infections or urinary tract infections i'm looking at the microbiome in terms of okay what is that doing for for the vaginal wow. flora yeah, yeah yeah so it's connected to everything <laughs> with how interconnected everything is mm -hmm. it, my, it my brain tells me that must be just impossible to be able to predict and mm -hmm. to um, to diagnose that's why what's it's going fun. on. That's why it's fun. So for you, yeah. that, that's what makes it fascinating. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. That it's this giant, as you said before, this giant jigsaw puzzle. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. do you sometimes feel like, oh, I think this might be affecting this and this might be affecting that, but I'm kind mm -hmm. of guessing. Mm -hmm. Like, is there a lot of just, well, let's try this and see if it works for a while mm -hmm. and then come back to the drawing board if we need to? Or is it, like, what, what kind of degree of confidence do you have when you're telling a patient, like, 
yeah. I think this what is might be what's going on for you. Yeah. Uh, for me, a lot of diagnosis needs to be clinical. And I think that with modern medicine, because we have... Um, so many tools available to us, so many tests available to us that doctors will start to turn their brain off. And and for me, a good clinician is one that gathers the information from the patient because honestly, it's your body. You understand your body the best and I need to gather that information mm-hmm. and, and asking the right questions too, right? Like in terms of like talking about a woman's period, they're like, nobody has ever asked or talking about somebody's poop. They're like, nobody has ever asked me this many <laughs> questions about that before. But I think a good clinician builds up a lot of that diagnosis in in office for me when i first started out i would either second guess myself and be and jump to testing right away or have this kind of false false confidence in like i need i need to know the answer Uh and i think as i've been going through practice i'll explain to people okay this is my thought process these are the one to two things that i think might be going on and then i provide options so and i think people really they value that i'm i'm telling them i don't know and I think that was a hard thing for me to get over it initially. It, it was, it was really hard. But people would value that. that yeah. It, you yeah. come across then as genuine mm-hmm. and honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was, I think, a tricky realization for me to make. But once I started that shift of saying, I don't know, and this is what I think it could be. And then I provide the options. So it could be um, testing that we go to right away. And there's different either conventional tests or more functional tests. So um, a more conventional test would be like a blood test. So Mm -hmm. um, naturopathic doctors can order blood work um, like a medical doctor. Uh, So it can be, for instance, testing your iron, testing your thyroid. Um, And then there's more functional tests. So even though, say, your estrogen might be normal on a conventional lab test, we can do Um, more functional testing. So there's um, salivary hormone testing, there's urine hormone testing. And doing urine testing, we can see not only the level of your estrogen, and and there's not just one type of estrogen, there's three different kinds of estrogen. Didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah, so we can see what are your different estrogens doing and what is the body doing around those different estrogens. So are are you not making enough of that precursor or that building block for that estrogen? Hmm. Or are you not breaking it down properly? Or are you breaking it down too much? Uh, so I present the option like, okay, we can test. Um, and, and in terms of those more, more functional testing, it can, it can get expensive. And I'm really mindful with my patients to be like, this can give us a lot of information. We can do the test or we could maybe try something first. And I, and I will be very honest and I'll just say that test may or may not change what we're doing clinically, right? Like I might have, I might be like, okay, you have too much of too much of this type of estrogen because your liver isn't functioning, you're not breaking it down properly. And I could be 90% sure, 90% certain. And that woman's like, no, 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 I want to test. Like, I want to see that information. Other women will be like, no, like, let's try something first. Um, and, and let's go down that road. And if things aren't shifting, then maybe let's do testing down the road. So you're including them in the decision making process and empowering them to be kind of, uh, 
mm-hmm. in the driver's seat a little bit more. Absolutely. I think that's really important for people to feel like they have a voice in, in yeah. the direction of their care. Um, and then also th- something I'm considering, I'm like, wh- like, what are your goals, right? So sometimes mm. I know that there might be a certain hormonal condition happening, like um, for instance, PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome. But one woman with PCOS may have a very different goal than another one. One woman might be like, I know this is impacting my fertility and I just want to get pregnant like, Uh, like tomorrow, like make this happen. I'm like, okay. Like then I might recommend, okay, let's do testing right now because if you're on more of a, um, a plan to get pregnant, like then let's make that happen. Let's prioritize that. Where if it's like they have PCOS and they have acne, they're like, okay, like let's try this, Hmm. this first. And then, and then we'll see where we go from testing for there. Yeah. I can't think of a time that I've ever been in a doctor's office and they've asked, what are your goals? (laughs) What do you want (laughs) from your health? Yeah. And people get, yeah. It's just assumed that like, I'm trying to make you not be dead. So, (laughs) and and I know best because I went to med school Yeah, and you're, you know, this is a health issue that Mm -hmm. you, and this is what you need to do. And Mm -hmm. this is, here's your problem. Here's your solution basically. And not asking you like, well, what do you think your, your challenges are? And what do you think, you know, what do you want? What are your goals? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, wow. So here's another thing I'd like to ask you. Okay. You've been doing this for how long? Uh, I started practice in October of 2017. Okay. So, yeah. About, and yeah. And you've got some patients that have been coming back to you a f- yeah. several times mm-hmm. in that span of time. Mm-hmm. What are you seeing in terms of the impact that you're having on people's lives? And mm-hmm. what does it do for you, at for your soul, um, <laughs> to know that you're, you're making that, that difference in the world for those mm-hmm. people and for their families? Yeah. Um, it can be pretty earth shattering. The things that people come back and tell me like, like, um, (laughs) like, yeah, make, like makes me want to cry in terms of that they've struggled with something for so long, um, that they became hopeless. Right. And I feel like, uh, naturopathic medicine is sometimes viewed that way. Like it's a last resort. Right. Mm -hmm. So people, go to convent their their GP, uh, they try something, they try something, and then they're like, oh, let's try this hip, hippie medicine, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Like that misconception. Like you thought when you right? saw the booth. Ex- exactly, exactly. So, um, which which is not. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm a big science nerd, but um, I think the most impactful thing for me is setting a new normal for somebody. Mm. So they have been living with pain for six years or they've never had a pain-free period or like, like something like that. And people are like, I had my first pain-free period ever. Wow. And, and to hear that, like, that's pretty impactful for me or, um, like mood stuff or like the, like, I'm, I'm a different person. Like I can stop thinking about, the constant pain I'm in, or I can get out of this depressive funk and I can do something more for my family or I can do something more for my community. And that, that was definitely yeah. one for pain. themselves. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But, and that's the, yeah. back to, you know, specifically talking about women. Yeah. I think moms mm-hmm. and women often, like you said, will put themselves last in terms of they're the gatekeeper for health of the family. Mm -hmm. They put on their own oxygen mask last, Mm -hmm. but it is also really difficult for them to, um, to take 
well, just self-care in general, but to take time for themselves, to prioritize themselves in terms of, I want this career path, or I want um, to, to learn this new hobby. Well, those things are all tend to come last because of the kids' needs or the needs of the family or financial stress or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So when you take someone who's in pain or mm -hmm. um, not feeling well physically or mentally and you get them where they're, you shift their baseline to a more positive normal, mm -hmm. all kinds of opportunities open up for that person. So you're not just impacting someone's health, mm -hmm. you're changing their life by, mm -hmm. by giving them that, uh, that, uh, launch pad to to go and live their best life and be their best self mm -hmm. yeah yeah and we were kind of chatting about this earlier that I think my approach to health is definitely multi-layered right mm -hmm. so when people are struggling with something physically they don't have time to invest in okay how how could I be a better person or how could I give back to my community or how can I make a bigger impact on the world? Like they, they, you can't, you like, you got to prioritize man. And, um, so if you're constantly dealing with some health struggle, you can't get to that. I call it like the next layer or like mm. the next part of who you are. And, and definitely for me. And, and sometimes people don't really get that or that there's more. So they're like, Oh, you fixed my knee. Bye. Okay. <laughs> like, like they don't, <laughs> sure. they, don't, they don't come back. But then there's other people like, okay, what's next, right? Like, right. where where can we go next? Well, it's the it's a pyramid, right? It's well, it yeah. literally is. Um, is it Maslow's pyramid of, mm -hmm. of needs? Yeah. Where he talks about. Yeah. I remember learning this in like, I don't know, high school science <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, you you have your basic yeah mm -hmm. uh, physical needs, yeah. and then like shelter, shelter. You know, we mm -hmm. all need shelter, mm -hmm. food, and water. Mm -hmm. And if those physical needs are met, then you need um, like safety and mm -hmm. emotional connection. And I'm yeah. probably getting the order wrong, but then it, you get higher up in the pyramid. Yeah. It's like, this is the icing. Yeah. It's the gravy. It's the stuff that yeah. millions of humans over the thousands of years mm -hmm. that we've been on the planet didn't even get to think about because they were just running away from saber tooth tigers. Exactly. But now we're yeah. like, we're kind of safe and we have mm -hmm. science and we have medicine and we get to think about things like, well, where did we come from? And mm -hmm. is there a God? Do I have a soul? And what happens after I die? These are things that people never used to even think about because they were obsessively concentrated on their physical needs. Yeah. So now we get to think about our mental needs. We get mm -hmm. to think about our spiritual mm -hmm. enlightenment or our spiritual health. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe one last question, because we're kind of running out of time a little bit, but when you get to the top of the pyramid, yeah. For you, what does that like spiritual enlightenment look mm -hmm. like or mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it yep. in, in your language? And I don't know what your kind of mm -hmm. views are in, in that area, but mm -hmm. what does it look like for you when you've taken someone's pain away and mm -hmm. their physical needs are met mm -hmm. and they're at the top of that pyramid? Yeah. So for me, especially dealing with the stigma that I do about my profession, I try and take the woo out of my language. Like not to say that there isn't an energetic component or there isn't a spiritual component, but I just change the language a little bit. So how I define spirituality is a connection to yourself and a connection to something bigger than yourself. So when we get to that level of spirituality, I'm like, okay, um, what is your, and I think we had this conversation, what's your why? Like, who are you? 
and, and why are you here? And once people can kind of tap into that why, it opens up a whole new kind of spiritual or energetic mm. component for themselves. And 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 I and two for connection to something bigger to yourself, it might be religion for somebody and and their relationship to God. Uh, for some people, it might be mindfulness and meditation. Um, and and for me, even mindfulness and meditation, like mindfulness is just about finding a sense of stillness within your mind or a place creating spaciousness within within your mind so a meditation could be chopping vegetables right where it's Mm. just like your mind is single track and you build a rhythmicity rhythmicity (laughs) to to that action some people it's running for me it is not running because i'm just trying not to die but for some (laughs) people who like get to um, who are at that level of running, like running is their meditation because they're so focused. And that's when, that's when you get different aha moments or, um, inspiration or what we call like genius can kind of come into Mm. your, come into your consciousness. That flow state, right? Then you're you're open to receiving something more. Yeah. Um, even if it's just something that's been ruminating in your own brain and Mm -hmm. rattling around and you still the mind and, take away all those distractions mm-hmm. we're, we're we have a culture that's so you know you should be multitasking like you only have one computer screen you should have six mm-hmm. <laughs> like have all these tabs open all the time and mm-hmm. and multitasking 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 trying mm-hmm. to get the most out of this little bit of time we have yep. but then you also kind of lose the value of monotasking yeah, you're sacrificing something else yeah yeah and and single tasking i i totally encourage people to do because single tasking is a way to build presence right a way mm-hmm. to build mindfulness and when you're trying to go about a million different things at once you're not get getting that benefit of single tasking and a lot of my my practice is about creating simplicity so when somebody leaves my office they need to know what like what just happened right so the conversation <laughs> they need to be able to explain it to their husband <laughs> exactly exactly yeah so when somebody leaves my office they're like okay i'm taking this herb or i'm taking this supplement and this is what it's going to do for my physiology yeah, this my body. Is why. exactly so i don't like to use like here's six supplements but like bye like you know what i good mean luck. so yeah. yeah good luck um for me i'm very very intentional and very very specific mm. um and i i try and do that with my life as well like i call it like curating right so what are you bringing into your life and that's not just mm. like supplements that's um your possessions like your clothes totally. your food um people like eliminating toxic relationships that that i think is diet it's what are you watching like what kind of programs are you watching Mm -hmm. or listening to yeah the content the social media Mm -hmm. um kelly and i've talked a lot lately about how toxic social media is and Mm -hmm. just how when when either one of us spend a lot of time on facebook especially Mm -hmm. we feel like agitated Mm -hmm. or on edge or just angry at the world and or there's just so much negativity through social media that you you respond to it and then you realize hey i'm i'm the one who chose to scroll through all of that and by the way these are all my friends who are <laughs> like these yeah. are my circle of people that i'm choosing so we did we have a choice mm-hmm. in what we eat what we consume what content we engage in mm-hmm. who we place in our lives um what we do for a living like we have so many choices mm-hmm that all impact our well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so do you have any, that's maybe a good place to kind of try to sort of wrap up this conversation, sure. but do you have anything else that you'd like to share with listeners, with our online community of the six ways from Sunday community or people that you're going to be sharing this with who might be listening that are part Ooh. of your, your network? Ooh, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I, I think about, um, kind of like the next state because people are like well where do where do I go from here or what is a where is a good mm. place to start mm-hmm. um and even if that's with um your health journey or or what you're doing with your family um people people try and do too many things at once so just picking one thing that you can do consistently and I think that with um goals if it's something that you can achieve that builds that self-confidence, you can move on to the next thing. So even when I'm talking, somebody wants to do a complete nutrition overhaul, I'm like, Mm. okay, this is what we're going to do. I just want you to eat one green thing a day. I'm like, I don't care if you're having pizza or you're having beer, like, you know what I mean? So it's just (laughs) like your goal is going to be like, eat one green thing a day. And even, even with like, um, exercise or people wanting to lose weight i just say don't make it about going to the gym or trying to train for that marathon or thing do what you can to reduce your inactivity so instead of being like okay i need to go to the gym i need to go for 10k walk instead of sitting uh when you get home from work why don't you go for a walk or instead of um, taking the elevator, why don't you take the stairs? So taking mm. that inactivity out right. of your life as opposed to, yeah. we, we always want to add things in, but like what can we yeah. take things out and to make, to curate and make things a bit more cool. intentional? Something as yeah. simple as standing while you're folding the laundry instead of sitting while mm-hmm. you're folding. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, there's so many. I love the simplicity of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it just made me think one thing I'll just include here, um, a little story. Uh, so our son Grayson is obsessed with like construction and building stuff and we've been talking to our three kids lately especially since Kelly's been coming to you about their gut health and about their microbiome and about like I make I make kombucha mm-hmm. for the last few months we've been getting the kids to start drinking more of that and so we tell Grayson who's four that there's a green city inside his <laughs> stomach that there's a little green city inside of him and in order to build things in this green city yep. he needs to eat things that are green and that there's all these connections and super highways and pathways between all the Love greenness it. and yeah and and between his guts and his and his brain and you can just see his eyes like light up and picturing all of these little green people and his little green city so um but yeah <laughs> it gets him to eat his vegetables and drink a little bit of kombucha yeah. and that's great i love that yeah, yeah. yeah. well brianna thank you so much thank for you. spending this time with me and for coming down to basha and i know you have quite a few patients in this community now mm-hmm. so it's good great that you got to see a little bit of our town mm-hmm. um Hope you have a safe drive back to Edmonton, Thank and you. I know we'll get a chance to see you again, whether it's through bringing our kids to you or me or Kelly um, to, to the clinic. And uh, really look forward to the next time we get to chat. And I just so appreciate uh, everything that you shared with our listeners and this community. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much for having me.